Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to say a few things more on the lines of uh, Sunday and uh, at least get this recorded um, so that uh, we can feed it out to to people who we help on the journey. So let's just pray. Father, help us to... um, just just make the choice we have for the openness of heart, spirit, connection, interaction, spirit of oneness, so we can receive everything we need for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're, we're going to continue to talk about the potential is in the invisible. And uh, I'll try not to take all the time to give a little space so we can uh, you can throw in some thoughts or observations um, at the end. And uh, I don't know how much we'll finish up adding to what was said on Sunday, but um, I just felt that uh, I didn't want to leave this space without uh, lingering a little while so we can absorb its full potential. I realize very often that, um, you know, we we talk lots about this stuff. uh, And so um, it's easy to deliver something without thinking that you haven't had all the conversations and little interactions that we've had and I think some some spaces like this are worth lingering a little bit to think have we got this because this is really important I think particularly on our journey where we've come because we have um, because we've deconstructed so many old ideas we can sometimes be left a little bit you know a bit like a explorer out in the middle of the ocean well you know we know what we've left Uh, but we're looking for some land, we're looking for something that we can possess a little bit in the context of this, and I think think this is a natural progression in our journey uh, that will help us to understand some of the connective processes of um, things that originally we had drawn a line and we'd separated and didn't know really how to bring them together. Um, So what, what I want to say tonight is not particularly about imagination, uh, or the miraculous, because our minds can take us and think, oh, this is about imagination, or this is about the miraculous, but it, it's not really about either of those things particularly. It's more about how everything works. And th- this is part of where we've come to on our journey. If we understand how everything works, then surely we can work with everything, because we understand how everything works. So uh, Jenny says, Jenny says um, you know, I still like the Bible. I love the Bible. I, you know, I recognize weaknesses, which I never did at one time. Uh, I recognize the challenges we've shared with you about, um, uh, about context and, and bias and emphasis and, and uh, agendas. Somebody's ringing the bell. I, don't, I think this is still open, Dan, but you can uh, check it out. Um, I get that, but but 
I guess where that's led me to is I, I am able to look at the Bible through a different lens now and I find it more helpful than ever. Um, and um, when you leave some of the old stuff behind and just begin even the very beginning to read, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, one of the questions would be how... In, in the context of spirituality and all things, how do you even have a beginning? And what would you call a beginning? Um, if, if God exists and he is spirit and is in everything and everything exists by him, it's not a beginning of beginnings, it's just a beginning of something within a bigger context of where everything already exists, if you see what I mean. It's a weird concept, but, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's interesting because then it says the earth was without form. If you've created something, how can it be without form? Think about that one. We're only in the first verse of Genesis, and uh, we are challenged by this crazy notion of something being created, the heavens and the earth, without form. Therefore, therefore, our views of what we perceive and think are creation have to go beyond our purely material concept of things. And to realize that, that before, before a thing is matter, it's still a thing, right? Before a thing is seen it can still be created. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we've got this challenge. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but, but this thing that was created is without form, and it's void. It's empty. How can something that's been created be empty if you think in purely material forms? If you think in pure, purely in the context of this is real because it's solid... But this whatever's here is not really real because we can't see it. When actually, if we were to get real, as we said to you, it's the weirdest thing, but there's more here going on in here that we can't see than there is in what we can see. These are just manifestations of the unseen, which is much bigger. So we've got this crazy notion that, that, that God creates the heavens and earth, but it's without form and it's void. And there's darkness, and darkness is over the face of the deep. But what is the deep if there's no form and if it's empty? See where I'm going with this? So where it's dragging us to is, is to, to try and get our minds into a different space about what we mean by creation and what we mean by material things and, and that which is not material but still real and to understand there is an interaction between, between those two things. You know, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, there's, there's a word that best describes that and that word is chaos. But most of us were raised with a very negative concept of chaos. We, we think chaos is destruction, and uh, that's, that's, that's an incorrect definition of the original meanings of chaos. Chaos simply means that there was no visible order that you could put your finger on in terms of material existence, but somehow all this was working together to create something. So chaos was not a bad thing in the context of Genesis 1.1, Chaos was simply describing that there's lots of stuff going on here 
that you cannot define just minutely to material stuff. Something bigger is going on. And of course, out of that then, you've got verse 3, which we mentioned on Sunday. Then God said, let there be. So into, into this chaotic thing um, is spoken words which are in essence spirit because they're breath. And then, and then we get introduced then to, to, to six descriptions of the materialization of something that was but could not be seen but now can be seen because words were spoken and it said, let there be, and there was. So it wasn't, uh, let there be. Now, now again, you know, this. remember, Genesis 1 is not a scientific thesis. So this is not an argument for or against evolution or creation. That's not what it's about. But what it's saying is that within that, the, the manifestation, the materialization, was a result of whatever was the mind uh, or the energy that was the existence of God behind this, was able to bring into the visible material world that we understand what existed that we could not understand because the nothingness that we think about in the beginning, the, the form, the void, the deep, were real things. Without form, void and deep were real things, but just not seen in the way that we see them. Is that okay? Does that kind of make sense? So we tend to believe the seen and the unseen, as I said on Sunday, are two different worlds. And, and I have to say, you've got to get this, they are not. You know, we, we whether it's our Greek or Roman thinking, or even if you go back a little bit to Hebrew thinking, Hebrew thinking not as much, but, but particularly Greek or Roman thinking, very much into creating lines of division, Right? Um, uh, spiritual and secular line of division. The Greeks, the Greeks brought that idea in. There is the spiritual and the secular, which, which put always a separation between the two worlds. Now, now of course, Chris, Christianity grabbed a hold of that, and we had our own versions of separation, which was all to do with what we labelled as 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 the fall. And what we labelled as as um, uh, the de depravity of humanity, the depravity of man, you know, phrases that are not even in the Bible, but we got, and so we made a we made a, a, a deep separation between us and God, and of course we made Jesus the bridge. Do we need more chairs there, Francine? Just get one, two, three. Need another one? Is Dad with you? No, we're all right then. We've got two. So. So, so these are all ideas that, so, so what, it, what it makes us do is it detaches us from our connection is even the wrong word, connection suggests a separation. It detaches us from our oneness with the reality of the unseen and makes us separate the two worlds so that we then don't find it at all easy to understand ourselves and our lives and our world in the context of that, that blended existence of the seen and the unseen coexisting and being just as real. The only difference being one you can see and touch in a material world. One is matter and the other one is not, is not material. It's immaterial, it's spirit. But of course, even our terminologies that we've adopted do not help us because we talk about, when I say it doesn't matter... 
you know, what we mean is it's not a thing that we can touch and handle. And, and we make it a, a negative thing. And so we, we, we get a wrong understanding of our interaction and interconnection between the unseen and the seen. So, so as we mentioned as well on Sunday, within the invisible is the potential for all that we see. Now, what I'm loving about um, science at the moment is that is that the whole development, particularly in the in the realm of of um, quantum physics, is is just giving a big thumbs up to many of the concepts that sometimes we haven't understood correctly, but have been realities even in the life and ministry of Jesus and through the wisdom of Scripture. That you can see that quantum physics is giving some, some validity to that within the realm of, of science and, uh, and um, you know, all of that stuff. Um, because we are now told, and, and we mentioned this, I'm going to re-mention it, that, that, that if you go down to the, the subatomic level, the particle level, level, and you take all the electron parts in this world that, that, that you can figure and see. We said last week that it's a known fact to the quantum physicists that they would fit within a football stadium and the car park around it. And you think, well, that's weird because what about everything else? Well, that's the point. All of that is going on in the everything else. And, um, and they say that what happens is, again, we don't get too far into that because I've got some other things I want to say, but but the one word that the, that the quantum physicists use for the unseen within the context of our world, our universe, everything that is, the one thing they use is that it's full of potentiality. Or in other words, within it lies the potential for anything and everything. So, you know, it's not so far out when when um, um, you see in Scripture that all things exist by him and through him, and all things have their being, you, you begin to see that how can all things be connected in that way that Scripture says, but even, even quantum physics is, is beginning to um, uh, embrace that idea. So, so the issue is that within the invisible, that which we cannot see, is the potential for all that we do see. So, I think Jesus used a different word. He, he used the word possible, possibility. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible to him who believes. He wasn't saying it's inevitable and there is a seven steps to get your miracle. But he was saying within, within that unseen that, that Jesus would call the kingdom of God, that would be Jesus' word for it, within that unseen is the possibility for all things. So, so, you know, of course, how do we then engage with and embrace that potential so that it becomes form is our challenge, you know, because we want to see those two worlds not just existing, but, but impacting and affecting each other. So I also said on Sunday that it matters what we believe about anything and everything um, with, a, with a great play on words. Because what we believe about anything and everything makes it matter, you know, it materializes, whether that's in our experience or whether that's in physical things, but it, 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 it makes it matter, okay, what we believe 
and what about anything and everything. It matters what we believe about anything and everything. Um, and belief is the single most defining influence on who we become and how we decide anything. So, so belief is important, but I'm going to challenge the idea of belief in a little while. So, so let me say that again, so we bring it through. So, so, so it matters what we believe about anything and everything. And belief is the single most defining influence on who we become and how we decide. So... So the greatest impact for all of us in, in our state of being is our belief, okay? So, so one could argue if we can deal with our belief, and I'm not just, you know, some of you think, oh, belief in God. No, I'm talking about belief about anything and everything. Our belief about ourselves, our belief about the world, our belief about other people. You know, our belief about our circumstances, our belief about our, our possibilities, our belief, it affects everything. So, so if we can impact that, but then I'm going to challenge that in a, in a little while. If we can impact that, then, then we, can, we can make some things change. So, so there's the question then, how is belief formed? And where is belief formed? And uh, is all belief true? Now, I could argue from a philosophical perspective that all belief is true to you. And that's why it remains belief. So the belief might be completely untrue, but it will be totally true to you if you believe it. Do you understand? So belief doesn't make anything true. Now get that. Because I was kind of raised, if you believe in Jesus, it makes it that Jesus really exists. Because I believe in Jesus. That doesn't make Jesus really exist because I believe in Jesus. It doesn't make anything exist because I believe it. But it's true to me. It makes it true to you, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily real. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so belief's not as straightforward as we think it is. So, so... So, so, does all belief bring something into being? I would say yes, belief's very powerful in bringing things to being, or if we're going to talk about our lives, belief is very powerful in making things matter, right? Making things material to us. So, belief is formed in two ways. Now, going to get too technical on this, I mean, you can, you can find lots of... Um, uh, literature and downloads from psychology papers about the nature and essence of belief. But basically belief, if I summarize it, this is the common understanding. Belief is formed in two ways. It's formed either from my experiences or it's formed from accepting what others tell us to be true. So those are, those are the two ways we come to believe. So by our experiences, we begin to believe some things. And, um, of course, one of the, the... It's both a benefit and... And what's the opposite to a benefit? The, and, and the other thing that's not beneficial... <laughs> Detrimental, it's both, yeah, um, in, the, in the fact that, um, 
that much of our belief is formed um, in our immediate childhood when we don't necessarily have a memory of that. So, the, you know, I, I, I bemoan the fact that I've poured my life into Riley for, for well, now seven years of his life. And, of course, you know, with the circumstances there, they, they lived with us for basically the first five years of his life. And I bemoan the fact that he won't be able to remember most of that. And I think, shucks, that's a bummer. Who, who designed this system? Um, but one thing that will have happened is that, that many of Riley's beliefs will have already been formulated from experience. So, um, you know, if you were badly treated as a child, if you had a lot of suffering, if, 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 if um, you know, if things didn't work or if there was oppression or, or if there was violence in the home or you watched your mum getting beaten by your dad or all of those things go inside of us and they create our belief about the world and about people. Um, so, so we, you know, we can grow up believing that the world is a scary place and no one can be trusted. And don't necessarily know where that comes from, but it, it comes from the formulation belief. Now, of course, that can also happen in later life. You know, let's say that you uh, have a divorce and you reject it. It can come from that, that the belief can be nobody will ever be faithful to me. The belief can be guy, all guys are jerks. Or the belief can be, I'm so useless as a wife that I'll never be able to keep a relationship together. So the belief can go either way, but that experience creates a belief. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so that's, one, that's one way it comes. The other way it comes is, is, is that we accept what others tell us to be true. Um, there is no such a thing, and I, I know this because I've had to wrestle with this and handle this. I, I was raised in a, you know, very, a, a very overtly Christian home. You know, my mum and dad, very much sincere people, great people. So one would have to ask how much of my belief in God and my concepts of God, the Bible of Jesus, were formed because I accepted what I was told. And um, when you're a kid and you, you trust those who are telling you what to believe, which I did because my mum and dad were great people. I mean, they were kind, they were loving, I was very secure. I remember asking my dad one day um, on the way to an open-air meeting down in King Square, and I can have only been, I guess, probably maybe 11 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, and... Uh, might have been just a year or two older, I, don't, I can't remember, I think he was about there, but um, tell I'm getting old because it's like that detail really matters. <laughs> and um, so I asked my dad, which anybody developing their thinking is going to ask, I said, so I asked my dad, I said, but who made God? And my dad's answer was, uh, God was and God is. How's was the end of conversation for me. Why? Because I believe what he t I trusted him, and I believe what he told me. So as far as I was concerned, you didn't need any bigger answer 
than God was and God is. Now, you know, if you were raised in church around this stuff, that's okay. But, you know, try that one with a, a rampant atheist. You know, God was and God is. Or, 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 or a, an informed thinking scientist or biologist. Try that one on with them, you know. Um, but we believe what we're told. Now, the point I wanted to make there is, you know, I, I used to hear people say... I'm not going to make my kids, I'm going to leave my kids free to make their own decisions when they get older. There's no such a thing. Whether you do it covertly, openly, or, or over, no, covertly, hidden, or whether you do it overtly, openly, your influence on people, particularly your kids, is going to determine much of what they believe. So, you know, I, I've met Christian kids, I've met atheist kids, all of which could tell you, oh, my parents never forced me to believe this. And that's true, they weren't forced. But you realize when you listen, they are repeating what it was that they were told because we believe what we're told. Now, the more you trust someone, the more you believe what they tell you, which makes my role as I get older very scary. Now, we've dismantled that culture a little bit in the context of leadership of the church, but I realized that, you know, basically for years of my life and ministry, particularly when we had more of a crowd who'd been raised in church, whatever I said was true, because I said it. And people believed it. Why do you believe it? Well, because Anne said it, which is quite scary. And we've tried to move away from that, but I realized moving away from that makes some of you very insecure. You know, because now it's like, well, I'd just rather believe what you tell me I'm supposed to believe. But, see, that's not maturity, and it's not healthy, and it's not, it's not good. And it doesn't help us to understand our place in the bigger scheme of things. So, so that's the two, two ways that we come to belief. Uh, belief, however, this is where I said I'm going to challenge that. Belief, however, may be the single biggest obstacle to the realization of the full potentiality of the mind and its maker than any other single thing. So actually, belief is the problem. You want to know the problem with religion? Belief. You want to know the problem with atheism? Belief. You want to know the problem with evolution? Belief. Well, no, the problem with Newtonian physics, belief, that's the problem. So it, it's, it's, it's a rod for the back as well as being, you know, a comforter. It's also a rod for the back because the problem is once we go into the realm of belief, we go into the realm of what's called dogma. And then the mind loses all its creative energy because now all our creative energy is poured into defense mechanisms protecting what it was that we were told we're supposed to believe or protecting what we have concluded from our experience. So none of our energy is able to find release in the creativity of the mind that God has given us within us to go beyond what we have believed at this point to find a new expression. So, so if, if belief then is potentially the single biggest obstacle to, to, to the realization of that potential, then, then um, are we aware that we're, we're wrestling with the use and application? Or should I say I'm aware that we're wrestling with the use and application of words here because 
There is an application that says you need to believe this. You know, do I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? I personally do, and that's okay. And the word belief is a good thing. But we've taken belief way beyond just the accepting of, of, of a fact, right? But I'll leave that for now because we'll get into some more expression. I want, I want you also to notice that when the Bible talks about faith, It's more expressing a space or state of trust than it is a dogma of belief. We think, we we confuse our beliefs with faith. When all of our beliefs either came because of our experience or because somebody told us what to believe. And that can also even go into the realm of how we think or thought we get right with God, how we think we resolve the problem of the human condition, etc., etc. All of those beliefs, but, but faith is something more than that, according to the Bible. It, it's, it's more expressing a space or state of trust than a dogma of belief. The, the problem with trust is that it has, it, it, it has not, a lot to hang itself on that is static and solid, okay? Otherwise, you wouldn't need trust, would you? See, I, I don't trust, I don't trust that I'll be okay walking across this floor. When, when I was up on the gutter out here looking at the problem that, that, that uh, um, Holy Trinity had said they were having on their vestry roof, and I was studying the slimy lead of the gutter the other week. You know, at one time I wouldn't have thought about it. At my age now, um, I needed something more. I, I was in a state where my confidence was not in the solid material things. You know, it was more, I trusted in my own stupidity to hopefully preserve me so that I'd still be alive to do this. It, it, what I'm trying to get through to you is that, is that trust leaves you in a place where there is a lack of certainty, not an increase in certainty, see? And where there is a lack of, where there is an increase in certainty, there is no need for anything called faith. You're stuck in the dogma of belief. And in that dogma of belief, you will never go beyond You will never reach further. You will never understand greater. You will never embrace more. You'll never love wider. You'll never accept more because you'll be stuck in that dogma. So, So that's one of the reasons why we actually prefer belief to faith because belief leaves us a lot more secure, but it might not be a good security. It might be the kind of security that leaves you nailed to the ground. So... I love this statement. Chris, Chris first mentioned this to me many years ago. And it's a great statement. A belief is something you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. And, and the, 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 the Greek word for faith leans more towards the idea of trust, right? Which, which, which gives you less solid and more fluid. More towards the idea of, tr- I have to trust which, which causes you to lean on something, and it leans more towards the idea of conviction, right? Something deep down on the inside that is driving you that does not necessarily have 
a great deal of foundation in the context of material things. It just is there and it grips you. So, so belief is something that, that you hold, but conviction is something that holds you. So, so this, this idea is, is pulling us more towards where we see the eradication of the dividing line between the seen and the unseen, Right? Flesh and spirit, if you want to use those terms, visible and not visible. Now, I also read this in one of these uh, psychology papers, which I think is great. Beliefs are energy-saving shortcuts in modeling and predicting the environment. Let me say that again so it sinks in. Beliefs are energy-saving shortcuts in modeling and predicting the environment. We would rather have beliefs than faith any day of the week because the beliefs are a shortcut to model and predict the environment. So we put our energy into, let me have some beliefs. This is what we need to believe. I'm going to believe that. Rather than the risk of this thing called trust, of conviction, of faith that that pulls us beyond belief. So I said all that simply to say... That, that, that belief is not all it's cracked up to be, right? And belief can be the enemy of us actually realizing that there is no line between the seen and the unseen because it starts to, it starts to, to, to dissolve the picture into something other than just matter, material things and solid things that we can see and experience in, in a natural way. So, the Bible does not say, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, and without belief it is impossible to please God, right? Because that's not what it's about. It says, but, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, you know, again, as we interpret that through our models of, um, of a judgmental God, it sounds terrible, like, you know, God's going to punish you if you don't have a certain kind of faith. It doesn't really mean that. What it's really saying is that the connection between the seen and the unseen, the interaction, the release, the flow of that energy and that life comes in the realm of faith, not belief, okay? So, let's move this along a little bit. Um, so, so we said this on Sunday, and, and these two things are going to tie together. Everything started as an idea. In the beginning, God created. By what criteria? In what way? You know, we say to people who don't make anything material, you've got no idea. We use it as a terminology because it means something that's expressed and becomes material, becomes matter, has to come from an idea. So, so everything begins with an idea. Everything. It starts as an idea. It started as a thought. Yeah, and I'd use the word imagination, but I don't mean, I don't mean fantasy. I mean... I mean imagining, I mean ideas that imagine what the building will look like or, or what materials we might lose, etc., etc., etc. So, so, so um, uh, yeah, everything starts as an idea, a thought, an imagination, a what if, a why not, and I can, and I will, or in biblical terms, a let there be. 
And that's a working out of that which is contained within. Let there be is like, well, it's already there, but let it be. Let there be. It's coming out of the mind. It's coming out of the, the thought. It's coming out of the imagination. So, so the reason I'm pushing this is because like, we can't em- overemphasize enough the role of the, of the mind, of your mind, in the process of creation. Um, and if that is true, and all this began with an idea, not material, then we would have to argue the case that God is more mind than he is matter. But we have made God more matter than he is mind. And because we do that, we make everything solid and we create our set of beliefs. And uh, in our set of beliefs, then we all get secure. And all of a sudden, we've made God whatever our beliefs say that God is. And anybody that challenges our beliefs about God, we call a heretic. Because they dared to make God more than what we believe he is. To break him outside of the lines that we have drawn. Because now we have made God more matter than mind. We've, com- we've confined him to try and bring him even then within the context of human understanding. And yet mind is the root source of all transformation, not matter, not things. You know, Paul, Paul's wrestling with this clever guy, the Apostle Paul, and he throws this stuff out, you know, like, like hand grenades right through his writings, which I now see more than I've ever done. And in... in, in um, uh, Excuse me. In Romans 12 and verse 3, he throws this one out. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Not transformed by believing in God. That's important. But that can, that can make you untransformed as much as it can make you transformed. Because you can come to a place you're not changing because now your God's become tribal and small and restricted and he's within you. We believe, you know, so God, don't you dare be anything more than that because we believe we've got this down. So Paul doesn't say be transformed by the removing of your mind. It doesn't say be transformed... Even by believing in Jesus, that might be important, but he doesn't say that. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because that's how you prove what the purpose, I'm going to summarize the next three phrases, what, what the purpose of God is in all things. You, you, you grasp that by the renewing of your mind. Why would the renewing of the mind be so important? Because it's the mind that has to connect with the mind that is behind all things. So surely the greatest way that a mind would connect with anything else would be mind to mind, because that is the means, the process by which all things come into being. Now, some of you might say, oh, that's a bit difficult. I'll say, so what, what is God? The Bible says God is two things. It says God is spirit. And whoever worships him, whoever recognizes him, whoever honors that has to honor that he is spirit. You worship him in spirit and truth. And it says that God is love. 
So you, I could argue that you've got a heart-mind cooperation going on there that's really the essence of everything. You know, love from the heart, but creative energy and power from the mind. So therefore, we sadly have, have by our construction of a belief system made it so that people see God as a person... Uh, you know, and all, there's all the imagery of, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, he has a long white beard, and uh, he has a deep voice, sounds like Morgan Freeman, you know, and he sits on a big throne, and he has long robes, you know, and we, we may like to fight it, but somehow we, we have this imagery of God that 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 makes the mind, the energy, the source, the force that makes him a person. Now, I don't have a problem with that because I relate best when something has form. But the problem is you have to go beyond the form because God is not form. He is not flesh and blood like we are. If he's not flesh and blood in his spirit, what does that mean? It means God, in essence, to us, God is mind. He is a mind. He is, he is a mind. And uh, I can see why in a lot of sci-fi movies and programs, why they would show the great Lord of all things as being a mind. You know, going back to the 60s, when we didn't have all the special effects we have, you know, it would be a brain in a jar, you know, as the great Lord of the universe. But sometimes these sci-fi writers have, have, have grasped the idea of the all things, the unseen and the seen, grasped it better than we had because we had so humanized that the, the clever word, if you want to, if you want to make people think you're really clever, is anthropomorphized. That's the clever one to impress your friends with. We have anthropomorphized, of course, that, that means humanized, given a body to that which we have not released or allowed that being to still be a mind, the great creative energy, the great source, who in the beginning created the heavens and earth, but it had no form. It was empty, but it was there. Why? Because it's not all about the material thing. These two worlds are linking together so that our world can be blessed within that, that unseen, spiritual, whatever you phrase you want to put on it. So mind is the root source of all transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So th there's something very important about this that I'm trying to shift you to in, in even the use of your own mind and how your own mind can perceive and conceive what the great mind, the spirit, is, is still releasing because can't keep within. It's just the emanation of the essence of the being that fills everything in every way, that we have unlearned our ability to be one with that so that the two worlds become one. So God is more mind than matter. So if God is, God is spirit, then it's far better to describe God as energy 
than, than person. Now, I've said, in our understanding of connecting, person works good because we understand more how to connect with person. But I'm talking about the essence of who he is. If he's spirit, then he is energy. And, um, you know, breath, you could call it, whatever. Um, and uh, that spirit, that energy, gives life to thought, which is the mind. But, but the thought, the mind, cannot experience because the mind needs a body in order to experience what the mind constructs. Hence, I think, one of the reasons why we're here. You know, the, the difference between the disciplines of science and, um, and philosophy is that science asks the question, how did we get here? And how did all this get here? Philosophy asks the question, why are we here? Why is all this here? Why is it what it is? And likewise, the two disciplines where they find a meeting place, science is asking the question, how did things come to be? But spirituality asks the question, why did things come to be? Science says, how did you become who you become? Science, spirituality says, why did you become who you become? Because the great secret to the existence of all things is not actually in the why, the how, but it's in the why. If you understand the why, the purpose, then you connect with the source that makes everything work. This world works not because of a how, it works because of a why. And the whole realm of quantum physics is showing that that why is being outworked at subatomic level in wonderful ways and ridiculous ways and crazy ways that all the time are expressing the creation of something which is the mind that is behind it all, which is God's still at work in all things. God's still doing a let there be. Creation cooperating and find as it cooperates, it becomes material, it becomes matter. So, um, thought cannot, or the mind cannot experience, it needs a body. But then you've got to say, but a body, physical body cannot create, it can only experience. So the problem is, when we reduce then down from spirit and energy and mind to body, we get locked into experience. And because we get locked into experience, we lose the whole concept and idea of create. See what I'm saying? So we reduce it purely to material matter. We have a body. This is all that matters. And then we've lost our ability and our willingness to realize that we can create, not just experience. Now, in Christian terms, we call that miracle. We call that supernatural. We call that God showing up. But really what it is, it's the creative energy that suddenly gets touched, that brings what is the body that can only experience back to that which can create, which is, which is why transformation by the renewing of our mind puts creative energy. It wasn't just be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can say, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven and one day Jesus will come back and I'll sit on a cloud, you know, whatever your description is. It, it, 
the transformation that's supposed to take place in a grossly material world was that we now transform from just being people of experience to being people who create. So if I'm made in the image and likeness of God, and if he is spirit, and that spirit is mind and thought, and that mind and thought said, let there be, then that same mind is in me. So, so what, what are the possibilities, the potentialities, that I am not realizing that could be realized? Now, um, don't get your guilt head on now. Okay, the guilt, condemnation head, because remember... You believe there is weakness or flaws because either experience has told you that there are weakness or flaws or somebody has told you there are weakness or flaws. And it makes us very negative. And um, I also remember, I mean, I'm going back a few years now to when I was a bit more religiously accepted by more people. Always fascinated me because I've always had a prophetic edge that, you know, you could give, you could give 10 prophetic words of insight that were right um, and two that were wrong and the only thing anybody could ever remember was two were wrong so therefore you must be a false prophet because two were wrong what also intrigued me was you could get a Benny Hinn or somebody with a healing ministry could pray for a hundred people 99 of them wouldn't get healed and one would get healed and they'd be saying it was absolutely amazing you know that person got healed tonight but never talk about the 99 that didn't and that, that always confused me I always found that very 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 difficult to uh, to handle my, my, my point in this is that there is still this measure of unpredictability that does not put the onus on us to have to achieve or make something happen. It's the fact that this potentiality, this possibility, fills everything that is around us. And, and, and there are times when we connect with that and touch that and something happens and, and then it becomes visible, it becomes matter. There is a let there be moment. There is a creative moment that takes place. Now, I can't predict all when that does happen, will happen, or what happens, but I'm going to rejoice when it does. And I, I have had absolute moments in my life where without one shadow of doubt, I cannot put the end result down to anything other than what I would call miracle, which is where mind-spirit becomes matter, where, where, where the unseen shows up in the seen. And you say, well, you know, has that fixed everything in our lives? No, it hasn't fixed everything, but I'm thankful for all the things that it has. I'm thankful for all the times that it's shown up, that somehow we managed to make that interaction take place. I'm looking for that, and I want you to be looking for that. The possibilities, the potentialities, the faith that hangs on to that with trust and conviction to say, do you know what, what if? Maybe, and who knows, and perhaps, and let there be. So, um... What starts to flow in that space is the fusion of the seen and the unseen, the visible and the invisible, matter and spirit. So, so I, my question was, does faith fuse them together? 
Does faith fuse these two things? Does faith dilute that line of separation that we have put in there so that these invisible, visible matter spirits, seen, unseen, begin to flow? So, so I just throw this out as a little thought that, that whoever wrote Hebrews in the Bible um, wrote these words in, in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's interesting. Now, faith is the substance Substance is matter, but no matter has yet been manifest, but faith lives in the realm where there's no difference between matter that you see and substance that you don't see. It's one and the same. It lives in that space. It lives in that area of where, whether we see it or don't see it, there's some substance to what it is that we're doing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then he goes on in verse 3 to say, by, uh, listen to this, by faith we understand. Now, where do you understand? In the mind. But faith is not belief. So we're not understanding something that is just an established belief that we either learn by experience or we're told that we had to believe. But faith is giving us an understanding. But what is the understanding that faith is giving us? The understanding that faith is giving us is that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Or in other words, all this hangs on something that you can't see. And all this materializes simply out of a word. But a word is breath and breath is spirit and spirit is mind. And it all materializes out of that. In other words, the creative energy, the creative power does not come from the extent of our belief or our scripture knowledge or our 47 prayers begging God to do anything. It comes from an understanding of how we frame things with the word that flows through us. So, let me take this a bit further. By faith we understand, okay? So we get a mind thing from a faith thing, a material thing from an unseen thing. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the words of God so that the things which are seen, matter, were not made of things which are visible. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Things which were seen were not made of that which is visible. Now, the problem is we've got so caught up in belief and the visible and the material and the matter that we've lost the concept of how when all things become one, things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. That the, the seen, the unseen, the visible, the invisible... Right? The material, the spiritual are all together in one. It, it comes out of something other than just our belief. So, so what's the opposite to faith? Okay, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 um, that um, um, we, we walk by faith and not by sight. So as we've said many times before, the opposite to faith is not doubt. It's not unbelief. The opposite to faith is sight. Okay, because what you see affects what you ultimately believe and what you believe makes you rigid and that rigidity will take you away from faith and then we, lose, we, we go on losing the ability to connect with the God in all things. So, so if we were to just broaden that just for a second, 
and say the opposite to faith is all our natural senses. Touch, feel, sight, hearing, smell. That all our natural senses have a tendency to take us away from the place of faith because we will start to believe what those experiences are telling us we ought to believe rather than the faith, the trust, the conviction of something beyond what our physical experiences are telling us all the time because they will formulate a belief and more often that belief is wrong. Okay, It's true to us, but wrong. So, so, if we say that the opposite to faith is all our natural senses, doesn't make our natural senses wrong, because remember, you need a body to experience, but it does mean that our natural senses are not the best way to understand and connect with and release what is the divine in us, what is our oneness with God. It's, it doesn't serve us the best, but we're so driven by that. Um, so, 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 I, I said this on Sunday, which is interesting. Our natural senses are always switched on. So you don't walk into a room and think, I think I'll smell what's going on in this room. If something smells in the room, you walk in the room and immediately your natural senses are switched on. If there's sound going on, you naturally hear as you walk in. If something's going on, you'll see it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If there's an atmosphere, you'll feel it. So our natural senses are never switched off. They're, they're always switched on subconsciously and involuntarily. So my question is... Why aren't our spiritual senses and spiritual sensitivities switched on in the same way? We must have it somewhere down the line switched them off or we suppress them or we don't embrace them because we think there is a line between the seen and the unseen, the natural and the spiritual, the visible and the invisible. And because we've bought into the lie that there is a division, our spiritual senses become numbed. And we also haven't had enough encouragement in, you know, just in the whole arena of saying that those senses, we need to bring them back alive again. So, so, um, so that does not mean that we eliminate our natural senses, but what it means is a better word. What it means is that it doesn't mean eliminate your natural senses, it means integrate. Integrate the natural, the seen, with the spiritual, the unseen. Make it normal to have a constant awareness that there's more going on that you can't see than is going on that you do see. And, and if I'm going to use a biblical phrase from a biblical story that tried to put this through, those that are for us are more than those who are against us. Was was a, a story in the story of Elisha about, about what's going on in the unseen. More going on for us than is against us. In this universe, in our existence here, in, in the wonderful molecular world, there's more going on for us than is going on against us. More of it. But our awareness is not, is not tuned in just to realize that. Now, you know, a term you might hear used and that, you know, Christians of my generation would balk at would be terms like mindfulness. 
terms that we let we let be hijacked by other streams of thought, like the New Ages or whatever, uh, and we became terrified of these terminologies. And I believe that's because we had actually become so detached from the unseen, invisible, the mind and nature of God, and got it so much down to belief and, and matter and solid that, that we let them hijack it. And in doing it, we, we lost a way to develop our spiritual sensitivity and our spirituality. And we have to recover that. You know, somebody asked me the other week, what, what, what would I feel, what would I feel about us doing meditation classes in the church? I said, be great. A mindfulness, because I'm not scared of that stuff now. I'm not afraid of it because I'm not going to box God into a set of beliefs. We've got to release him into the realm of faith and get more attuned with the unseen. So, uh, let, me, let me move this to the close of what I want to say. So, we're not supposed to live on two planes in regards to matter and non-matter, but to allow the dividing line to be dissolved... And that is what a revelation of the Christ will do. That's why we've been trying to talk to you about the Christ. We have to learn to sit comfortably within the whole. Jesus seemed to sit so comfortably in that space without any worship songs or all the other stuff we seem to think are indispensable to creating the right atmosphere. Do you catch that from Jesus? There's no essence of Jesus in the situation saying... So I'll just bow our heads right now and just, okay. Just want to bring the presence of the Lord. Okay, so, so you know, let's, let's sing a song about how great God is. You see, now I'm not saying that's irrelevant or, or unnecessary at times, but, but you did not see Jesus doing that because his understanding of the two worlds, the kingdom of God, of the presence of, of, of God, of, of, of God in all things, of, 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 of his oneness with the Father and with all that he was in, meant that there was a natural interaction of flowing in and out of this dimension of the seen and the unseen, which produced what our terminology would be, miracle. Now, now a miracle is not just changing water into wine or opening the blind eyes of people, because that is something that, might happen or would happen rarely, but, but the daily miracles, the stuff that needs to happen to us because we had that insight, that revelation, that unction, that sense, that trust, that conviction within that makes us at peace, that we're one with all things and it's all working for us and not against us. So let me finish with this. We need to replace fear, cynicism and skepticism. And I say this to myself, with faith, hope and love. Because the oceans of our mind have become clogged with the non-decomposable packaging of flawed beliefs which affect the flow and purity or innocence of our creative thoughts. So think about the current, current news about all the plastic that's in the oceans and the damage that that's doing uh, because of the packaging. It's all packaging, right? It's not got fresh ham and cheese and and milk in it, it's packaging. And the truth is, you know, most of what we have grown up with in the context even of our Christianity has been packaging 
and sadly most of it's been plastic, which means it doesn't decompose easily. You know, you could see what was inside of it, and it kept it all nicely bottled up, but good Lord, try and get that to decompose, because you're in a new era. And, and the oceans of our mind have become absolutely clogged with these ideas, with these, with these plastic notions of the containment of God and the gospel and the truth and all of that stuff. Our, the ocean of our minds become clogged with that. And um, it affects the flow of our creative thoughts. So, you know, we, we, need, we need that plastic removing from our, from our minds. And what we're trying to do here at Q, I'll be honest with you, we, we, are, we are trying to be very ethical and very ecological. What's that? Yeah, somebody else's fault. The devil made me do it. I don't mean in our things because we're bound to some things, but I mean in the way we present, in how we package what it is that we're doing. We're trying to make it eco-friendly so that the packaging decomposes easily, right? We can, and we can recycle it. And when we recycle it, it comes out of something else. But our packaging is going to be recyclable, which makes some people insecure. But we, we, we are spiritually eco-friendly here in this place. And should be accredited for it. So let me finish up. If we would become a little more unstable in our beliefs, maybe the particles of potentiality will get flared up and smash against each other, creating little big bangs that create for us a new reality. See, whatever you think about the foundation of the universe, wherever you sit in the context of the big bang, um, in essence, however it happened, it sure was a big bang because it made a big impact because something came and the, the unseen became seen and the invisible became visible and the formless took on form and we get to experience that form but we miss what was behind it all when the truth is, whatever the bang was that's doing that, it happened because, you know, the, the molecular scientists will tell you that, that you know, all of these, these molecular things are all, you know, moving around and, and, and if you get them flared up, you get them worked up, then they all start smashing against each other and energy is released and you get little big bangs and that creates new realities. And what we're trying to do is say we're getting all this stuff smashing together in the chaos to create some little big bangs so that all of us get created within us and from us a new reality for all of us to live in. So, this is my last bit. Paul talks about having the mind of Christ about letting the, that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, about seeing with the eyes of your heart that they'll be enlightened, about being renewed in the spirit of your mind, about being of the same mind, about setting your mind on things above. And, and the big one, he says, and you have the mind of Christ. So it's already there. You have the mind of Christ. Paul says it. You have the mind of Christ. So I guess in all of this, it's not about striving, it's about somehow letting our beliefs be dissolved into a space of trust and conviction where faith begins to release in us and through us, lets it through the let it be, the let it be, because we actually believe that in this that we have in the mind of Christ, that energy that comes from us and that 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 
that things can change. So I want you some little big bangs going off in your, in your life and world. But it's got to happen by transformed by the renewing of your mind. I know it's not comfortable sometimes. You know, like I say, my image is, when I say God has a mind, it's the brain in the, in the jar on Doctor Who, about 1965, you know, type of thing. Uh, yeah, or oh, the Daleks, the Daleks. You know, when in essence, don't think of it as a brain, because that's a human material thing, okay? When we talk about mind, don't think brain... Mind is an energy, it's an essence that, that can have form and not have form because it doesn't need any of that because in itself and within itself and from itself it has all that it needs which really in essence is what Paul is saying about Christ and about the existence of Christ and that we are part of that and I, I'm wanting us to learn that, that in all that we're doing if we can connect with that and, 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 and understand our oneness with that then the potentiality and the possibility that fills all things, uh, I guarantee it starts popping up and showing up in material ways that we as humans can then experience, but that can be dangerous because then the experience determines what you believe. And then you tell somebody else and they believe it because you told them. You see where all the dangers come in unless we are prepared to lose ourselves into the wonder of the spirit that is God. God is spirit. And so we worship him in spirit, by being spirit, by connecting spirit to spirit, and that becomes the release of truth that transforms our lives. So I think I've said enough on that. I hope it's, um, I hope it's been helpful. So we've got a few minutes. Have you got anything you would like to say, add, bring? He said, looking at, well, if you want to, yeah. Okay. I'll say it another time, but um, I don't know whether any of you remember when people used to talk about the Trinity, um, you know, God the Creator, and then Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, and how it all, how you understood that. And there was always an illustration that people used, and it was like, well, you can imagine, um, you know, a, a man to a, a woman can be a wife, but there can be a man to a, a, a daughter or a mother to a son. You know, you can have those different relationships. But there's also another one that's interesting, that if you think about it... Bye, guys. It's been nice for you to join us. No, no need. We just wanted to say goodbye. It's been nice for you to be with us. Bless you. Bless them. Um... The thing that came to mind, it was this, the, the ice, the steam, and the water, because they're all one thing, but they're actually at different temperatures. It's all one, but we see one as matter, we see another one as a, a liquid, which is a sort of a, a matter, and we see steam, but it's all to do with the temperature, but it's still all one. And when Anth was just talking about how we somehow get our... <laughs> Uh, way of thinking to change because there's this great divide isn't there between that which is matter and that which isn't that which is visible uh, and that which um, isn't what came to me was the similar thought of I prefer to think of ice water and steam in the context of what is visible and invisible because if we think about spirit 
and matter just at different speeds, you get the idea that it's all one, but just at, so the speed of light is going whatever. You guys know better than me. Right. And then you've got the idea that light slows down and you get a different uh, creation at that different speed. And so I, uh, you know, somebody, I can't even remember who was talking, but they actually referred to human beings as spirit slowed down. And you think, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. That rather than seeing us as a separate entity, we're just operating at a different speed. And if you do that, it helps you to stop thinking in terms of division. We are all the same, made up of the same thing, but because we slow down, it actually becomes visible. And uh, something else that, um, I mean, the Matrix film a a while back was very, very uh, wonderful and, you know, we, we all got excited about it. But when the person awoke to the reality that was going on in the world, they did not see physical beings. What they saw was cluster of light, you see. And so in the context of our understanding is that the more that we are open, we will realize that everything is just clusters of light. But of course, our minds have to create identities of things and that's why we see things in a different way so what we see with our eyes is one thing but we are actually made up of 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 spirit but just at at a different speed now there's other things that we could say but I thought that was brilliant I've enjoyed that tonight so and I hope that helps If if it helps you to think that I can tap in to the invisible easier because I'm actually I am that but I'm just slowed I'm slowed down. It might just help you a little bit. So there you go. Just one comment on that. Um, again, coming back to Jesus, because I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm beginning to believe Jesus was the pioneer of... Um, of quantum physics that puts a whole different spin on I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Inseparable, indivisible, one thing flowing because it was it was spirit the same, one the same spirit. The seen, the unseen, visible, invisible, all one. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's that understanding that we are inseparably connected with with the source of all things, which is, you know, God the divine. Right, anybody else? No, no, I, I've got a lot to learn because I've really, I've struggled tonight. I, that's why my head's been down because I've been trying to work it all out. But two things, I think, if I'm right, and you need to say if I'm not right, I tend to have to see things, I have to have a picture. So I have a picture of a continuum. Because what you said is from one thing, so you walk, you walk along that continuum, don't walk where you are. We are on that continuum if we're thinking 
Jesus is on that continuum, really, I think. Does that, is that, right, okay, so that's one thing. I'm rambling a bit, but I need to ramble. And then I had a cut on my hand, there, and it's healing, and I thought, well, that's really interesting, because when you were talking about the visible and the invisible, actually, the cut was visible, but actually, what happened was very invisible, because the healing process is quite significant, and a lot happens in all of that. And so that made me think about the invisible and the visible. And that's all I've got to say, because I've got loads of work to do on it. But Thanks. Um, I, I only, the only thing I really had to add was that, I, um, um, that some stuff had happened earlier this week um, that I thought was interesting it happened this week and then I've come tonight and this has been talked about so um, I, at the moment I'm working on a, a unit that is um, for complex cases of boys in prison um, with a high level of childhood trauma and um, I was asked to work with a boy this week um, who is, is due for release soon um, and he can't visualise what his future will look like so he's really struggling and he's um, they're giving him no answers in terms of what it's going to look like yet because nobody does plans that far ahead and so he just it's it's causing this massive breakdown for him in terms of um, just yeah there's no hope there's nothing and so I, I went with this sort of visualization exercise that we could do together to sort of plan his future and um and what that might look like and I tried to encourage him to um, have ideas and to dream and to look forward to stuff and the comment that he made while we were doing it is he said it just feels like everything that has happened to me has caused uh, my mind to be clogged and I know when we were talking before and Anthony was talking about the plastic and the mind and I was thinking that the, the childhood trauma this boy particular boy went through happened before he was three um, and he doesn't know. He, he actually, he knows stuff happened to him, but he doesn't know what it was because he doesn't remember. And what he might have remembered, he's blocked out. Um, but yet he's, he's at this point in his life now where he's being asked to, to dream and to have ideas and to, to move forward with something, something that isn't very tangible for him. And he can't because there's this shutdown, like that his mind is not connecting with anything outside of, any, outside of what's gone on for him and and Claire's worked with him a little bit this week I introduced him and got him to do some creative stuff because he's he's into art a little bit um, and he just froze this whole thing and she, she, he's come to her with these ideas of these trainers to draw and um, he got there and she said come on let, let, they're amazing let, let's do it and he just went I I can't do it. I can't like, and the more and she talked to him quite a lot about it. And but what more that came up was that he he had no belief that he could do it. He had no everything just stopped him. Any moving forward or doing something different or doing something new was like, no, I'm done. And then we did this exercise. So I just thought it was quite interesting that this whole thing had come up this week of this being this mind block by trauma. And I just thought it might be worth adding. Thinking that. Um, when, when I was very young, there was, there was a trauma, but I think it's also that there was trauma in my parents' life as well. And I feel that sometimes there isn't a connection that goes um, from a person to a child. And then you don't know where you are and you feel separate. Um, you know, I know I've changed and I know I've, because I have connected and because I have become and I've, because I've been able to do things, I can now see things and I can do things. But I, when I was young, 
I, I had no vision, no vision of anything, no, and I had no vision of my future. I never thought I'd get married. The only thought was that I would probably go make a mess of it, you know. So, and I had no future for, the only thing I was going to do because, was be a nurse because my aunt said, you'll be a nurse one day. I said, yes, well, it's just as well she did because I had something to do, but, you know. Um, uh, so I know what it's like to be like that, but I also know what it's like to sort of be a bit healed, so it's good. said and the reason that I do is because on Friday I really felt that I wanted to listen to a worship song and I don't normally do that I haven't done that for ages only listening to Q when I'm not here and so I just went hunting for a worship song and this worship song came really stuck to me I thought of Eileen she's got she's going through loads of situations at the moment and part of the song said God is still working, he's working, he's working, he's working, he's working. It's just like the repeat of it. I got quite into this. And then I suddenly stopped myself. I remember Genesis 1 and 2, where it says, God rested on the seventh day. And I thought, then God isn't still working, so what's going on here? This song must be wrong. Then everything that I have been brought up in is wrong. So what's going on? And I've been thinking this through right the way through this week. Thinking, well, if God's resting, it hasn't said that he's come out of his rest. So what's going on? But I couldn't stop listening to this song. And I sent it to Eileen, and I just felt that I needed to encourage her, but I couldn't get these words out of my head. Couldn't get Genesis 1 and 2 out of my head. And then suddenly I've come here tonight and I feel as though I've had the answer. God's created work of let there be is working through us all. You've said it tonight. You've got a cut and the, the invisible has happened. You've become healed. And he's doing that constantly. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop. His word doesn't stop. He stops working because he's resting in us and out of that rest we are then able to operate into the working it's a continuum I got so excited I'm, I'm like writing all these notes down through us God is working but he's at rest It's good to be here tonight. Um, obviously, there's been a few changes. So I've been at work the last few Wednesdays, but it's nice to nice to come. Um, so it's been. I find it really um, good to listen to tonight. I think one of the things that stands out to me, Jan, when you were saying how um, I'm a great believer in being open and honest about how you're feeling and how you're thinking, because um, what that does is it opens up the channels for conversation. I think that conversation is a very important thing. Because conversation allows thought to flow, it allows us to reason with ideas, 
Um, and I think sometimes um, there's a lack of that. And one of the things that I'm very grateful for in my life is being around people who have always been there for incredibly good conversation. Now, that doesn't always mean you go, mean you go away agreeing with what that person said. But what it does give you the opportunity is test and try those ideas to think, do I actually still believe what I believe? Or am I going to change my mind? And I think that for me, that's one of the things that's so essential about a community like this or what, in a way, the original church was um, meant to be in that it was about bringing forth ideas and sitting around, reading things, saying, do you agree? Do you not agree? What do you think it means? What, what do I think it means? And it brings you to some... Um, Great conclusions that, again, don't necessarily have to be set in stone, but over time can then be brought to the table again. And why am I saying this? Is Because actually, Jan, when you said about how you know, it left you sometimes thinking, I'm not really sure what I think, what I believe, and uh, that can be often seen as like a problematic. But we should see the fact that that can be said as an incredibly beneficial thing because there would have been a time where for you to get up at the front and say, well, I'm not really sure what I think about all that, would have almost been like heresy in a way. It's like, well, what do you mean you don't agree? Like we've just said, this is the dogma. Your answer is, I hear you, sir, and I will take that away and I will apply it. Yeah, and I think that, so to me, that's an incredibly refreshing thing. The fact that we are in a, you know, you hear a lot about safe spaces, but you know, like we're in a place where that can be freely discussed and we can say, I'm not sure. I'm going to take this away and have a little bit of a wrestle with it and see what I think. Um, one thing I would say is, for me, one of the reasons why I think sometimes we or one can struggle with teaching like this when we start talking about energy and when we start talking about matter and it all being about the fluidity and, you know, is because... I think it comes down to the fact that we don't really believe in ourselves. We fundamentally have power. So um, I sent a message. If, if you were to see the conversations that me and my mum have, they're hilarious because I'll send a statement that refers to nothing. She, and it'll usually be about 6.30 in the morning. She'll reply, you're going to have to elaborate, and then she won't get a reply until probably a day later. And... Um, I was thinking about this. I, said to, I sent her a message this morning saying, I've been thinking a lot recently about the sovereignty of the individual. And she said, can you elaborate, please? And I just put, ha, and then didn't reply. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly developing the thought, but for me, the sovereignty of the individual, it's a bit of a paradox, really, because on one side, we talk about community and laying down the individual self. But in, on the other side of it, I believe that sometimes we have been so swept into a, what would be considered like a, a dogmatic belief which has been said, right, this is the belief and everybody will conform to this particular belief, that we've lost our inability to see that actually as an individual, the God self, me, the breath that's, that I am emitting in my world and in my experiences and in my life that's, that's your creative power. You are saying, let there be every single second of every day. You are just not aware that every word you speak is creating the matter around you. And I think if only we would grasp that um, when, when Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven is within you, that he, he actually really meant that. 
You know, it's like, do you actually believe that within you, you have the creative ability to speak and form worlds? And as I was listening tonight, and you know, we were using the scientific talk and the quantum physics talk, you realize we lack understanding of truly how important we are as individuals. And in grasping the importance of what you are as an individual, when I say sovereign, I use that word because I understand it has different connotations, but sovereign as in you are a God in the respects of that you are a powerful entity that has an individual ability to form things. When each person understands that they can in themselves create, when then you bring that together as a corporate collective body, that is where then you really do form a a powerhouse really. And that's where you do start creating quite incredible things. Um, And and I was saying to to, to mum the other day that um, I find that we live in a world now where there's a real um, focus on collectivism. Everything being about the group, like you identify within the group. Um, And that can be quite dangerous in that you lose a sense of, well, who am I? Like, what's my contribution? And I would love it to be that Q is individuals, individual cells that have power within their own right and know their place as an individual. And then as that comes together, it forms the most incredible body. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that, yeah. Each, each person knowing their skill, what they can contribute to the table. And I think what, what that brings is something really quite, quite phenomenal. And that's to me what Q is. You know, you've, for a full body, you've got to have a head, you've got to have a leg, or an arm or whatever. And I think that, I hope that's helped a little bit, Jan, for you. Because it, um, it really inspired me because I thought, actually, I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that we question ourselves and our ability to um, have our own thought and ultimately believe that God is flowing out of us every second of every day um, in what we create and that God is not this external force to be reckoned with, but actually a, a spirit thing within us that is creating. So I don't know whether that's made any sense, but that's where I'm at anyway. You look like you were going to talk. Go. No. Okay, appreciate the extra bits that's good and it's it's fine i appreciate the things we're saying it's meant if you grasp it straight away the danger is you've just believed it because i told you this is what you should believe and we're back in the same problem so what jan said is healthy you see because it's um it's the issue of trying to free the mind again to feel secure in that space where it can find a place of trust and conviction rather than a dogma through a belief, which I think is important. So um, just one, one last thought in going, Chris has raised this before, but I, I think it's, it's worth it on this. You know, the, the, um, the word that we translate repentance in the Bible is, is from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's thinking, to change one's mind, which of course connects with this, that we all need a metanoia, a repentance in order to get back to what we're supposed to be in this but you know as Chris has pointed out before the opposite of metanoia is paranoia so if we are not living in a space of metanoia mostly we'll be living in a space of paranoia where we're paranoid about the faith we didn't have the trust we didn't have 
you know, the scripture we didn't know, the thing we didn't say, and we're back to the can't, won't, not, you know, it, it could never be, because we get gripped in paranoia. And, and so, you know, metanoia is what we need, not paranoia, but, but, but most of the way we were taught leads us to a space of paranoia. You know, we, we pray paranoid prayers. You know, and we do paranoid things. When, when we come to metanoia, we come to that place uh, of peace. We come to that place of where it's finished. We come to that place of the seventh day rest. And, and like Francine said, you know, we, we don't see that God has somehow, you know, seventh day God rested, but since then he's been in a bit of a flap. You know, now you say, but the world's full of chaos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's probably a good thing because that's where we all started before. It was all full of chaos, but it's, it's, our, it's our embracing of, of, of our role within that and the release of God that within the, within the chaos begins to let something manifest. So, uh, you know, don't be in paranoia, live in metanoia, right? My mind is changing and it's okay that I've not got the rigid beliefs, I've not bottled it in a, in a non-recyclable container of, of, of beliefs and ideas, but I've left it fluid. And, and the other thing I think, you know, we, we, we've introduced a new little phrase there, you know, little big bang moments. And so, you know, out of this, the point is not that you now go away with more information. The point of this, hopefully, is that you go away with inspiration um, that allows you again to recognize and create some little big bang moments. And uh, those are what in, in, in the days that I were raised, we called them testimonies. And what they were is somebody saying, do you know what, I had a little big bang moment. You know, the unseen became seen. Somehow I, find, I found that space and I settled into it and you know, there was a little big bang moment and out of it came creativity. So we love you, we bless you, and uh, the Lord is with us, right? God is with us. God is in us, and I'm going to say something, God is us, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, in, in the great words of, of um, some of our Yorkshire parents, and I don't know where it's in the Bible, put that in your pipe and smoke it. So we'll leave it at that for tonight, all right? Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.